You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Seeking Access Podcast. This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, and I'm excited to have one of my homies with me today, Louis Devani Jones. Louis is a return guest to the Seeking Access Podcast, one of my favorite people to talk with because uh, I, I think the the major mark for me of talking with Louis is uh, humility because I feel like I start to get hype on myself and feel like I really know a lot of things until I talk to you. And so I'm really excited to go into this today because I know I just, I usually not get embarrassed. Embarrassed isn't the right word, but I am shocked and impressed every time by how much stuff you know. I, I think I'm, I'm just like mind blown sometimes by the stuff that you can remember from all the things that you read. Cause I'm like, we probably, I, I'm like, I probably read, you know, 75% as much as you do. Oh, but I'm like, I but more. you remember, I think 50% more than I do from the no, things that you read. No, it's crazy. It's tough. Oh, like, I, no, actually, like it's. I mean, what's so interesting? Like, I read like a variety of things at the same time. So, like, but often, like, what helps me to remember things and like narratives is like by reading things like in the same vein at one time. So, like, I'll kind of if I'm yeah. looking for a project, like I'll focus heavily on like I'm going to read this topic, and then it helps me to remember because I keep this narrative in my head, right? Um, and so, but that makes sense. Yeah, but I I think you probably read more than me because like. <laughs> <laughs> You definitely, you definitely crush more articles than I do. I will say yes. that because you read a lot of, you read a lot of blogs and articles and things, which is awesome. But I, oh, this is what I was going to ask you. This is my first, first question was uh, your wife. Does does Haley does she just get like inundated with all of your thoughts all the time? Or like, what's your, what's your general outlook? Because I know Emily just gets slammed when I'm like really hype about economics or you know gender theory or whatever. I'm kind of running on at the time. Like she just hears all of my like breakthroughs and. Yeah. We always say she gets like the first version of the podcast before I do a solo episode. That's funny. Well, actually, you know, Haley is not really political at all. Um, she doesn't have, she doesn't follow politics. She doesn't, you know, has no interest in politics. Like when I first met her, like, you know, I was still engaged in in politics, um, some partisan, but like also just like in my work and other stuff. She was just totally like, I have no idea what we're talking about. Like, like and, and so and I've taken in to meet political people. Like there was actually one time we, we were at an event and um, my son was being held by a, the United States representative for Southern Illinois. And like, she was like, who is that guy? I was like, that's the representative of this whole area. Like, this whole yeah. area. She's like, oh, that's good. Like, like, it's no, like it is not, mm-hmm. but we do, you know, as time is going on, like, you know, she, we, we talk more about different things and we watch things together. 
Um, and I think she really gets more interested in like culture versus like policy, right? And so I'm more I of a see. policy person. So like we'll talk about cultural things and like, you know, things that I think you don't have it's not about policy wonkism. I think we talk more about that and we find more to connect on on that. So you know, these are just things that affect all people. So I do try to we I try to like dial it back, right? <laughs> so like we're not yeah. it, but we definitely have these times where like I'll break out in enthusiasm. Like if something wild happens on the internet, I'm like, did you see like this is crazy? Like and, like and it was like right. That's so funny. Yeah, it's fun, man. I remember actually when when I met her that she said that because remember you and I just went off for like an hour and she was like, I'm so glad that he got to do this with you. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't give him what he he needs in this area. (laughs) So I was like, hey, I'm happy to sub in every now and then (laughs) to fuel that. That's awesome, man. And uh, the other thing I was thinking before we recorded, I was like, man, we have like we had a brief like topic that we wanted to discuss, but I was like, we have no outline, but I was like, there's maybe, maybe two or three people that I feel as confident going into something with no outline <laughs> as you knowing that we can fill some time talking about a topic, man. So that's awesome. So I want to talk, you know, we're, we're going to go over kind of um, black conservatism and you wrote this great article for America's future on, um, on the topic post the 2022 midterm. So I'll let you go ahead since you're, um, you know, really in on the topic, kind of introduce it for us and kind of why you want to discuss it. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, obviously so many people are doing hot takes right now. I'm almost, we're almost a little bit late, but there's like a lot of takes that have been happening for on, real. <laughs> on the, on the election. Obviously, you know, right now, if some of the interesting news came out that the GOP is going to do an autopsy on the midterm, the last autopsy they did was after the loss of Mitt Romney. And that was a very big report that came out that basically said they have to do more outreach to Hispanics and African-Americans and so many other things in the autopsy. And then Donald Trump came along, literally took the autopsy and ripped it to shreds. And, <laughs> and like, that was like the big note. So it was like totally unused. And like, now it's almost like a joke, like that they even did this. Um, and now they're doing another one on the 2018 or on the 2022 midterms. But so many hot takes have been out there about like, why did the GOP underperform? Why there was going to be this red wave. Now there's a red ripple. Now there's like a, a, a red trickle, like all this a stuff. Trickle. Why, yeah. why, what happened? Um, and but there are so many like undergirding themes. Like I wrote an article like early on um, in the cycle about the new right and that theme. Right, looking at people like JD Vance and Blake Masters. And what was so interesting to me also as a Catholic is like so much of it was connected to Catholic Catholic intellectuals, Catholic writers, um, people like Ross Duthat, who's been writing for the New York Times, Catholic. Who covers the new right? Looks like a new right figure. That was one thread. Like, oh, is this going to be the new Republican Party? Um, there was threads about Donald Trump, as we all know, like basically Donald Trump is either going to save or ruin the Republican party. And like his picks basically determine if it's, you know, going to, they're going to win or lose. But there was also a trend that was, I think, under discussed. And that was like this trend on increasing, like it it was kind of touched on in different parts, but increasing support of non-white Americans for the Republican party. Um, this was most notably kind of connected to Hispanic Americans who have definitely an un kind of you know, uncontroversially started to shift into the GOP camp more more concertedly than they had in recent elections. But also I wanted to cover the African-American story, which I think was also very interesting um, because African-Americans have, you know, there's been slow trickles at different points. But I think right now we see, we have seen interesting ele- elections with African-Americans moving into um voting more for the GOP, right, than, than many folks thought was even possible. And so it's not like, you know, this total revolution, but it's notable. And I think that's what my article was trying to get at. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I, I'm curious kind of your your kind of general thoughts on why you think 
you know, we're kind of seeing this increase. Why do you think that there is this kind of shift in the black community towards uh, voting Republican? Well, and I want to like, I want to caveat this because when I say it's like this extreme shift, I mean, not necessarily, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a trend, right? It's a trend. And, right, yeah. and, and I think, I think there's a lot of reasons, right? And this, and obviously there's many books I'm reading and going through many of them that are, that are look at this phenomenon. This is not, there's not a lot of answers in this question, even like why are, why do blacks vote so heavily uh, a Democrat to begin with is like, there's other theories. And I think a lot of those theories are accurate, but um, like, for example, like there was a, a, a poll that I saw that was covering, it was interviewing uh, people and taking data around 2012, over 90% of African-Americans voted um, in 2012 uh, for uh, the man himself, Barack Obama, of course. And, but there was a poll that came out that asked people about their political ideology. It was very simple. I think it was just like liberal, um, you know, liberal, uh, conservative or like other, and 45% said conservative. <laughs> that was a poll right. done in 2012. Um, yet 90% over nine, I think it was 92%. <laughs> so like the question is more so like, not like why there's like an ideological shift, but like, why are more people feeling like they actually can vote in line with their actual beliefs? And I think the long-term trends, and I'm taking this from other researchers who have, like people who have looked at this, one of the reasons why people think that Democrats, that that, um, that African Americans, although they have conservative values, and everyone, it's non-controversial. There are many um, conservative African Americans, um, but like so in the in the data, they do this distinction. They say there's black conservatives and there's conservative blacks, right? That's what they, the title mm-hmm. and they say conservative blacks are basically these African Americans who have conservative values. They're religious. Um, they believe in uh, free markets. Um, they are socially conservative in many respects. Um, and then, but they vote Democrat. <laughs> and then there's like black conservatives, which are like these kind of partisan, like black people who are like outspokenly publicly conservative, right? In a way that is more aligned with the general mainstream conservative movement. And so one of the theories as to like why there are so many like conservative blacks that don't vote, uh, you know, in that, in line with their values in that way, um, is one that there's that there's certain like group pressure basically, and this is like scientifically studied. Social scientists have studied this from all yeah, yeah. There's a group pressure that if for people who live within black communities and are surrounded by black communities have like a pressure to to like vocally support Democrats just off the rip. And they've actually done a study where basically like they had it was like you could give a campaign contribution. I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy the study because it was like a little bit ago that I read it. But basically, like you could give a campaign contribution to a certain person, and um, and they basically in the study they basically like had like kind of what they call them Confederates, and they're not Confederate like with the Southern Confederacy, but they're basically like these people that are kind of like thrown into the the research to kind of throw off the research and, and test a hypothesis. So they gotcha, they gotcha. put in like a Confederate that like pushes people to the left and a Confederate that pushes people to the right. If there was a black person, the person was more likely to donate to like a, a black person, a black Democrat. If it was like if it was a, a person that was not black, they were more likely to give to the uh, Republican person. So like one of the things that they show is like there's a social pressure that happens with black people where they pressure each other into voting Democrat. <laughs> it's like in a very nuanced way. And there's a lot of and there's a lot more studies on that than just that. But there's been actually a couple of those repeated that have shown that same thing, that basically there's influence that black people have on each other to vote uh, Democrat. And this is, again, totally undisputed by people of all stripes. This is just a fact. 
Um, and so one of the theories as to why is there going to why is there, I believe, going to be a shift and why has there been certain trends is one African-Americans are becoming there's there's more um, intermarriage. African-Americans are moving out of just being in only black communities. Um, African-Americans are more likely to go uh, go into higher education, which are typically places that are not only African-Americans. Um, economic mobility and, and geographic mobility, people are moving into areas where it's more diverse, like cities where there are black people, but there's still a lot of other people. And and so, like, even though you would think that that would like make people more progressive, like moving to a place like a city. One of the interesting things is it shakes up this kind of um, uh, maybe the cultural background that someone comes from. And it actually may open people up more to thinking like differently. And that's one of the theories that that's out there that we as people move around and move out of these spaces that that may be the case. Last data point I'll get is like people who like in the data of black Republicans, they are much more likely to go to church in a non only black church, much more likely. And, and one of the things that you think about is like, again, all the data seems to suggest it's it's this it's kind of being within a group and there's a group dynamic that's pressuring people into voting a certain way as that starts to break up. Um, and there's more mobility in that way. I think that you're going to see trends. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, you know, you and I in our own lives have definitely experienced some of that, some of that pressure <laughs> that can come from within oh, the black community to like, vote Democrat. What's so, what's so interesting is like, if you look at the data too, ideological data, um, the, the, the European Americans or white people in the, uh, in, in the progressive or liberal movement are much more liberal than African-Americans, even within the Democratic Party. Oh, my gosh. Um, but but at the same time, there's so much more like it, I think like there's more ideological cert- sorting in that community. But in the black community, it's just like, yeah. I don't care what you believe. Just vote Democrat. Like you can be conservative. Just don't vote for Democrat. Like <laughs> just don't vote for Republicans. Like it's, Republicans. it's like a really yeah. interesting thing, like um, where I think ideal ideology is like almost more important, like in you know other communities. But then within the the black community, it's really just more about like who you vote for. And some of that too, there's theories about it being tied to the civil rights movement. Um, excuse me. You know, in the past, in the early 20th century, you see like African-Americans basically split, excuse me, between Republicans and Democrats. There was actually a lot of Republicans. I mean, people like Martin Luther King Jr.'s dad was a Republican. I mean, many people, there was many Republicans. It's debated about if Martin Luther King Jr. himself is a Republican. Um, but his dad was a Republican and, and all like that black class of like people, they were all Republicans. And, you know, it's, the shift happened in, in waves, but was often tied to um, the first wave was tied to like the New Deal and like all these social programs. And the second wave was tied to the civil rights movement, um, which basically like solidified um, that. And I think one of the other theories is that it's it's nostalgia and connectedness to that movement and to that history that also ties people in. And that also enforces this sense of like homogeneity, like that if you basically if you vote for a Republican, it's like you're voting for racism. It's like you're voting it's like when, when Joe Biden, I have a quote in the article, when uh, Joe Biden said that Mitt Romney wants to put y'all back in chains. And I was, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's Mitt Romney, bro. It, it's, it's, it's funny because it's Mitt Romney and it's funny Mitt, because, Mitt Romney. because Mitt Romney is like the most milquetoast individual of all time. And so like, yeah, he's a Democrat 20 years ago. Easy. So, well, actually we can talk about that whole thing. Cause think about, like, Mitt Romney actually is like, he's actually like, like a classic Republican, like, and, and, I'll, and I'll say what I mean by that. Look at like a mm-hmm. Nelson Rockefeller, like Northeastern, like Republican, like super, just basically free market, but like, otherwise he's kind of socially liberal. That's like what Mitt Romney somewhat is. 
it's also we also tend to forget Mitt Romney's like a bishop in the Mormon church. Like he's like <laughs> he's like a religious figure yeah. in his community. Like he runs Utah. Like his family is like basically like it's like a dynastic like situation. Um, for sure. But like he he actually is like a lot of people say he's like a rhino, but like really he's actually representative of an older Republican tradition that um, is so mm. interesting. But that's a whole nother. Yeah, I think, you know, going back to the conservative blacks and black conservative thing, to me, what's really interesting in that, and this is something that I find um, to be true as well within the black Catholic community, is it depends, like, what is your descriptor and what's your noun for yourself, mm. right? And so I like that, you know, some people view themselves as conservative blacks or black conservatives, meaning that, like, if your noun is you're a conservative black, right? So black is your noun, mm. then you're black first and conservative second. Versus if you're a black conservative, then, like, you view your values, principles, and the way you view the world more important than your race. And when you view your race as kind of your primary identity, then I feel like you do kind of fall into, well, the culture and uh, my community. Like, we have to speak up for ourselves and vote for ourselves first mm. ahead of the abortion or gay marriage or gender theory and all this other stuff I might disagree with staunchly in the Democrat platform. Um, I feel like, you know, my community leaders have spoken and said that we have to vote Democrat. And so that's what I'm going to go do. And I, I wonder that a lot of times I see that in, in our black Catholic, you know, Facebook groups and, and the Instagram accounts and stuff that I see and the people that as you know, I often, uh, not often, but sometimes dialogue with in uh, uh, dramatic fashion. Um, <laughs> sometimes I see the same things with them, you know, where it's like, are you are you this concept of black first? Because sometimes, you know, I'm like the, the way that even the way they view being black, you know, a lot of times like I disagree with or I see it as a very modern form of black culture that has has almost totally divorced itself from from a lot of black cultural history right mm. can i hear all right, um, sorry i know you're the interviewer but can i hear more about that like what do you mean by that when you say like that it divorces itself from this this history yeah i think well i think um one just to kind of bring that home just to finish yeah. that real quick I, and i think that you see that those people will again uh that that the people that i often argue with are find themselves being more uh black than they are catholic and what i think black has become today because it has so become or has become so intertwined with politics is it means it means in a lot of ways democrat right and so you're willing what i see with the the black catholics is you're willing to um, de degrade the pro-life movement you're willing to ignore gender theory you're willing to ignore um the lies you're willing to ignore past racist comments from Joe Biden, right. And emphasize and focus in on the ones on Trump because of the fact that like the people have told you, these leaders have told you that uh, Joe Biden literally told us in the 2020 election cycle, right? Like if you don't vote for me, you ain't people take that. And they're like, yes, Joe, you're right. You know, even though you were old and racist back in the day, like, we're going to go with that and we're going to tell all of our friends that if you don't vote for Joe Biden, you're not black either. Um, to Just to think of the concept of a white man telling you that you're not black if you do or do not do something is is mind blowing to me. Um, and people just like accepted it. There was no backlash or outrage from the black community or the people who, you know, later were dressing their daughters up with pearls on to, you know, rep Kamala Harris later on. Like there was no uh, problem with any of that. Uh, but what I mean, I think when I go back to the uh, 
black culture being kind of divorced from its history is I think of people like Frederick Douglass. I think of people like Booker T. Washington. I think of people like Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X, like Malcolm X, uh, you know, we read this autobiography, like the, the disdain he had towards white liberals was very, very strong. And I think there was a reason for that. Um, and I think that he predicted and saw things, even though we view the world very differently in many ways, I think he predicted and saw the fact that like white liberals were just manipulating the black community to get them to vote, to get them to where they are today, basically, of, of just blindly voting for them for the foreseeable future. You know, I think that um, you think of uh, the difference between like the temptations and Sam Cook and what was black culture then and black culture's uh, emphasis and pride on um, post-slavery, the nuclear family, right? We had this time period where during slavery, families were being broken up and separated and it was devastating. Once that was ended, like there was this emphasis on, um, you know, black men being the leaders of the family and black women being traditional women, right? We had that, that was, that was something that was key and crucial to the, to the black culture that now when you think of the Cardi B and Lizzo and like the, the generation now and the influences and the people we hold up as heroes, which I think has, you know, been going on for 30, 40 years, that has really shifted, uh, the, the role models in the black community that we had 60 years ago are very different than the ones we have and hold up today. Um, and I think that if you looked at it, and I think very, it's almost similar to, um, cause we were just talking about this, you know, with Isabel, Isabel, um, Brown, you know, live that I did, I think it's very interesting how it, Protestantism, when you look at the, the reformers, right. The first reformers, if they saw what Protestantism was today, I think they'd be aghast and devastated. I think very similarly, when you look back at like the civil rights leaders, if they were to come and look at what has happened to the black community today, um, would be devastated. And I think that that's where my, I won't say hatred because I'm Catholic, but um, my strong, strong dislike for people like Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Maxine Waters comes from because I think that they know that deep in their hearts. And I think that they saw the destruction of the black community over time and have continued to promote the same leaders and ideology that has degraded the black community, torn the family apart and led to uh, where we see it at today. It's so interesting that, first of all, did you ever see that Boondocks episode? with Martin Luther King Jr. where like they resurrected him from the dead. No. Oh my goodness, you gotta watch it. You gotta, Cause it literally is like, that, the whole it. theme of it is like, he comes back and like sees the culture. And he's just like saying, like you gotta, you gotta watch it. Anyways, um, uh, <laughs> it's classic. Um, what's so interesting is you hit on so many themes that are like, like you really hit on some of the core black conservative themes that exist even the people i literally have notes of, of like some of the most prominent people that research says that people that black conservatives draw on from the black community you literally hit like all like almost in order Booker <laughs> t washington frederick douglas martin luther king jr uh malcolm x um there's some others you missed george schiller but it's all right um and so what's so interesting is like um that really those figures also are the people that are that that other that the other black leaders draw on those as well. Like black progressives also draw on those exact same figures, but in a different way. And it's so right. interesting because really it's a difference of interpretation of history, like of like the historical arc. So like when you look at black, so like where did so like look at black modern black conservatism? Where did it even come from? Right. So you just you talked about many figures, and all of them are prior to the 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 uh, basically the main black conservative movement, right? The the modern black conservative movement. All those people you just named, they're right prior, and then some are way way prior. 
And actually, those same figures, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. and draws on Frederick Douglass, and, and you know, it's a kind of a continuity of history. I think what happens during the Martin Luther King Jr. era is you have a split. Um, I'm not sure if you ever read Martin Luther King Jr.'s book, um, Where Do We Go From Here? Um, the Officer uh-huh. Community, fantastic book, highly recommended. In that book, he actually talks about where the Black Power movement started and his disagreement with Stokely Carmichael that started the Black Power movement. He talks about it in the, in the conflict from his perspective in that book. Very interesting. Most people don't talk about it because he was he was basically saying, like, we have two directions to go. We can go chaos or community. Like, what are we going to do? And... He, he deeply criticizes the black power thing. He says, like, I understand. I get the whole point. Like, I understand the idea of it, but this is not the way to go. I'm telling you why. Like, and he kind of breaks it down. Yeah. It's really good book. But anyways, you kind of do see the split, right? And often it's it's looked at through the lens of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. I think it's better looked at like Stokely Carmichael and Martin Luther King. But anyways, um, what's so interesting, though, is like right after that time period um, or shortly thereafter, you have the Reagan administration which is shortly thereafter, which is where you actually have the black and the modern black conservative movement begin, because all of these black we talk about Thomas Sowell, talk about Walter Williams, you talk about Robert John, um, uh, Bob Woodson, you talk about so many people. They came up in the Reagan administration. They were being consulted by Ronald Reagan. They were like some of them worked for him. Uh, um, Clarence Thomas came up in the Ronald Reagan administration. That was like the moment right after like. You know, the heat of the civil rights movement, it's not right after, but like the heat is kind of dwindling on the civil rights movement. These are very post-civil right. rights. And almost the main critique is they're critiquing the civil rights. Some of them are like, yeah, civil rights, like Martin Luther King Jr. was good. But like after that, it was like Jesse, it was like all these other people, like and it becomes like this. They call them like race hustlers and all that. That whole narrative starts to start. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's when it starts. And it's so interesting because um, right now, and this is why I also think this article and some of the other articles I'm about to do are really important because really we're on the precipice of a regime change in the black conservative movement because all these people are old now. Thomas Sowell is elderly. He is super old. I'm not going to lie. Right. Clarence Thomas is an elderly black Catholic man right now. Uh, he's out there still keeping it alive, but he's, and he really, he's looked at as like the principal black conservative and he's Catholic, deeply Catholic. Um, and but all these people are aging and we have a new class of black conservatives coming up. Um, and it's interesting, like the similarities and distinctions between the sources that they draw on. You talk about Frederick Douglass. I doubt many black conservatives have read Frederick Douglass's writings at this point. Um, even mm-hmm. um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s writings, Malcolm X's writings, let alone you know even older people, George Shuler and his journalism, even though he was kind of wild. But, um, you know, even the classics like Walter Williams, I doubt many people have read. But like they're coming up and they're actually kind of getting more energy than those people did because they were like intellectuals and like, you know, in federal government and like nobody even like knows what they're doing, except for Clarence Thomas, who obviously goes on to do a lot. But um, to me, it's so interesting because, you know, this we see this modern black conservative movement and we see the regime change happening. Um, and, you know, there's it's it's so interesting, though. But what I think is so, again, cool, going back to what you were initially saying is like you literally pulled up all the themes like like anti-civil rights yeah. leaders, like or, or like the post-MLK civil rights leaders, the breakdown of the family core thing. Actually, one of the other things that um, many of the black conservatives, like, you know, when they were coming up, were focusing on, too, was like welfare and like the impact of welfare on the black community. And there's actually debates. It's not like one view. There's many debates about like, um, you know, how much government should be there, right? Is, is it actually right. like... Is it bad that we have this help or did it just go too far? Right. There's debates about that. And many of the debates come from these black intellectuals who are ec- economists like Thomas Sowell yeah. from an economist standpoint. Right. They're like and, and this is like, I think, of all things now depart from this because we can get to the conversation. <laughs> but like 
of all things too, um, the free market and capitalism is so core to like black conservatism because basically many of these black conservatives who lay the foundation, they make it from an economic standpoint. Like that basically, you know, the welfare, their, their idea was like that the welfare state holds blacks back from becoming like economic agents in the way that they believe like a rational economic right. in capitalism, right? And like, yeah. so it's so interesting, but um, you hit on so many of the core points like in your description of like the, That's so the historical problem, right? Like why, you know, the, why like the, the narrative of the black community, it's really interesting. Yeah, and I think that's something that makes the approach different. And I think Republicans don't, uh, it seems like, don't fully understand, in my view, that makes the the approach to to trying to, I don't know if convert is the right word, but reach the Black community from the conservative perspective so different than the Hispanic community when it comes to capitalism is it's really unique <clears throat> for uh, Blacks in America because we don't have the like like i think a lot of hispanics that come and they become more conservative is there's this influence from people moving from cuba you see that in miami right yeah, or yeah. venezuela like some of these countries nicaragua where socialism has been tried right and they're just like that is really shitty right like this super sucks like we really need to get away from this and they kind of i feel like that spreads to a certain degree like throughout the hispanic community where it's like they're immigrating from mexico and they're like this is like like America is it, right? Like there's a reason why we like it here. And like, maybe we should try to vote that would actually keep America, America as where uh, I feel like the black community has been here for a really long time. Obviously our journey here was very different. And so I, it, I think it becomes so much easier to take the many benefits of the Western world for granted, because it's like, we, you know, have got here and it's like, there's the, the dark past of, of slavery. Um, and it's like, we're just kind of here. And this is just kind of like what America's like, right? It's racist and it's very um, affluent, even if you're poor. Right. And that's where I feel like that's one thing that I think I've gotten in a lot of arguments with um, black family and friends about is the, the recognition of the fact that um, poverty in America is much better than being poor anywhere else. Right. And and even though it's difficult, even though there's hardships and there's times, you know, of great difficulty, I wish I had pulled up my notes on this. I didn't even think about it. But um, my class, I'm in this program uh, here in Colorado called the Leadership Program of the Rockies. And our last class was on economics. And they were just talking about how, like, in the Western world, I can't remember if it's specifically in the U.S. or in the West, just in general, how, like, excuse me. I think it was like 77% of people below the poverty line, like have air conditioning. What number of them like have a, a TV, you know what I mean? Like all these like kind of luxury items, right. That people that the majority of like human history live without, right. These like comforts that we enjoy and we have here. And I think when you travel the world and you see different places, I remember being in Kabul, Afghanistan, they were burning trash to stay warm as we're like every person, almost every person, not every person, but I don't know, 98% of the people in the projects or in, uh, you know, very, very low income neighborhoods in the U S have heat in their house, right? Like it's a very high percentage. We do not see a lot of people, even in the poorest places that don't have heat in their house that are burning trash. Like you see in these third world countries. Um, but kind of going back to, you know, I know you didn't want to touch this too much. I'll, I'll get in trouble. Not you, but the black <laughs> Catholics, I think are really interesting because they don't dude. The, the, the interesting thing with them is like, when you talk to someone who's a secular black liberal, they are like all in, like all Cardi B, like all feminist, oh, Cardi all, B. I love that's like <laughs> all Lizzo. That, yeah, Lizzo and Cardi B are like my top two, right? Because <laughs> I think they are uh, cultural leaders in in a way that's really crazy to me. 
but they're like all in on all of that stuff as where you see some of the uh, black Catholic women are, are a little bit more traditional and conservative in, let's say like modesty or, um, you know, the way they talk or um, like language they use. I mean, and, um, and all of that, but they still will kind of tie into a lot of the ideologies and things that uh, you'll find from the, the secular black liberal. Um, But what I think it kind of comes down to is, is, this identity politics and how much that's been pushed to really, um, and you see it continue to be pushed with things like the 1619 Project, critical race theory, to really separate people into these racial groups. Because I think that the progressives know that if we can continue to get black people to just think, you know, um, in in one direction and think like you are black and you're black first and black is constantly under attack, then you're going to vote uh, Democrat. And I think that's something that to tie back into your article, you pointed out really well, where you talked about how, um, to black conservatives and black liberals, history is still very important, right? Like culture and history is very important. But the other thing was the difference maker was how they currently viewed the obstacle of racism in getting ahead. And I think that comes back to what you just talked about with capitalism and, and how central that is to, uh, the black conservative movement and just viewing welfare, um, as you know, just, just, just being open to having a debate on like, should there be some type of welfare reform? Is this actually helpful? Right. Um, and I think there's, there's this huge distinction between black, black, uh, conservatives and black liberals of, are we willing to talk about there's, there's either a willingness to that, um, Almost seems, you know, I was just listening to Douglas Murray's conclusion today on the war on the West. I don't know if you read no, that. I have not. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Um, he's a British dude, but really awesome and wrote this great book. But the one thing that he was pointing out was, uh, sorry, I know I'm going really no, 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 was- here, but he was talking about, um, he, he was on a panel with, with a few guys and, and a, a black, uh, progressive had asked this white guy to name something he's proud of about the white culture about white community right he's like there's plenty of bad things about white culture he's like well name something you're proud of if you think there's anything good about it and douglas murray had the the for lack of better term the balls to actually like talk about ways you could successfully deflect that question but he was like but if you did have to answer it He's like, here's what I would say. He basically goes on for like 25 minutes. But the one thing that I thought was really impressive, he talked about at the end. He's like, and he's like, in one of the the best, most interesting things about Western or white culture, he's like, it's the only culture in the entire world that welcomes dialogue around criticizing it and actually rewards people who criticize it. And I think that that is a Western value that like we're willing to actually dialogue around like maybe like there's flaws of our past, maybe there's flaws in our present system. And like, how can we build upon that and improve it? And I think that that's a Western thing that is, um, has infiltrated the minds and hearts and, and, um, communities of the black community that are more conservative and, and it won't enter into the progressive, uh, the mind of the progressive black community or black individual, because they have this concept of, no, we only have to promote black lives matter. We can never criticize or try to address the problems of black on black violence. We can only address uh, oppression. We can never talk about um, how welfare might be actually hurting our community and how taking a more capitalistic 
uh, personal ownership, you know, mindset might actually benefit us and behoove us as a community, right? There's like never a willingness to like turn in and and criticize yourself, which is the same thing I could I, I criticize trad Catholics for, right? It's like you always want to criticize everybody else, but if you could just like clean up and maybe police your own community a little bit, you might be uh, better off, right? You might be more appealing to the broader Catholic community. And that's what I think is a, a, a firm distinction in the mind of the black liberal and the black conservative. And when you see them debate, and you see them talk about different topics. I think that's something that really comes up where you'll see a Thomas Sowell or Candace Owens or, um, you know, Clarence Thomas or any of these people. They're willing to say, OK, but what can we do to improve versus uh, Al Sharpton's of the world who just say it's all white people's fault. It's everybody else's fault. We're perfect. And, you know, anything that's it's, that's, uh, you know, any this um, differences in outcome is just due to racism. <clears throat> It's not due to personal decisions or anything. There's like so many things I'm gonna pull out of that, and I'll say one interesting thing. I'm not. We're not gonna get deeply into this because it's a whole another rabbit hole. But like, think about the West and like uh, talk about you know you're talking about dialogue and like criticism and like <clears throat> one thing is you know I African Americans are a Western culture. African Americans are a Western culture, and I think this is really important. Right. I actually made this point. I was there's a. There's a dude, he's, I'm not going to name drop him, but he's a conservative uh, journalist who I talked about this point a lot because there's a, there are some conservative people who are like, they have an ethno, ethno nationalist vision of the, of the United States, which it, it's, and, you know, so I think about like Barack Obama, he said, you know, that the United States is grounded in the Anglo-American legal tradition, right? Barack Obama said that when he gave a speech and that's true. And I, and I'm, you can say that. But there's some people in the conservative movement who will say it's grounded in the Anglo-American ethnicity, right? That basically, if you don't have a certain amount of Anglo-Americans within the United States, it doesn't retain those quote unquote Western values. Um, I disagree with that. And one of the things that I think is so unique about the African-American culture is that it's a Western culture, is an, Amer is an authentically American tradition. And you can see that going back from slavery. African-Americans were a, a, a heterogeneous group of tribes, basically, put into slavery, baptized into Protestantism, some places Catholicism, but mostly Protestantism, and basically kind of had created a culture out of that, basically. I mean, they, they created a, a, a singular culture out of multiple cultures, create institutions, other things. Um, but it was an American-based frame. Like, you look at people like Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, all these people. They're not quoting like African tribal spirituality. Like that's not that's like that's not, that's not what they're using as their source of strength. They're using the Bible. They're using like you know spirituals that they created based on spirituals that were in the European American. So like the Declaration of Independence. I mean, many for Frederick Douglass. Yeah, many people are drawn yeah. on that. And so like we are a Western tradition. And I think within the African American community, there is that dialogue within the community. Now, this is the important point. Like I was saying before, it's within the community. There's a lot of ideological diversity. If you go to like a barbecue, if you look at a mm -hmm. podcast, like a black podcast, you'll see like black people on, the, on, on radio shows. Cause like even my mom listens to like black radio shows. Like you see people debate on the show. Like they're debating about things. Like you see people easily debate about gender. Yeah. You see rappers, famous rappers come out and be like, Oh, I'm, I'm boot little boozy. For example, like he'll just say, whatever, like, and people still love boozy. They're like, Oh, I love boozy. He'll be like, man, this transgender Dwayne Wade, what are you doing? Like, why you got like, this? he'll literally just go out and say whatever. And people love him. Yeah. So like, it's not the debate. That's the thing. It's about the voting. It's about the party. It's about like, it's all about that. And that's what a lot of people don't get. Like, it's really about breaking that barrier. And it's like, damn, it's going to break eventually. Like, it, it's just not, it's not sustainable. And I think as you see people like the new wave uh, of like uh, black American conservatives, 
um, who basically, you know, have social media platforms now where people can follow them and like follow their and like and they see them pop up. Like it's starting to normalize like that. The RSS thing is black Republicans. And I, and I can have these beliefs and I can vote this way. I don't have to like. And, and so I think that's the dam is going to break on that because. You know, and that's why I think you're seeing these trends. When, I want to go back to something, one of the interesting things you quoted from the article about the distinction between ancestry and the view of race, um, because the data actually shows that African-American Republicans actually think that their ancestry is more important than African-American liberals, but think that their race is less important. And that's a distinction that a lot of people mm. would be like, oh, well, like, what, what does that even mean? It's because African-American conservatives often do care about their tradition. They care about the well-being of their communities. They care about all these things. But they also, if you look at the data, like, for example, um, 73% of black progressives, uh, black liberals in this this data set said that discrimination is the main reason black people can't get ahead. Only 44% of black Republicans said that. It's like a 30-point difference. And so, like, you know, you can see that the difference is, like, race, like, Saying that racism and race and, and aren't aren't those numbers higher than they were like in the nineties? I know I've heard different stats on that before. Of I can't like speak asking black. I'm sure. I'm sure oh, that it yeah. is though, because I wish I don't have those stats. Unfortunately, you called me. Yeah, out. yeah. it was like they like they pulled. I think it was like black teenagers in the nineties and then like the twenty tens, and then it had actually like increased. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it because I think there was a time of you know the nineties. There was a lot more racial. Like I, I would say, like the the view of race has i mean the 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 events that are going on in contemporary society they make race more salient or less salient at any given time right i mean you mm-hmm. think about in the like i was just saying in the 80s you had like ronald reagan's administration and definitely people accused him of racism for sure um and there have been recordings that come out not looking good for ronald reagan but he did actually for the he was kind of the first um you know in this modern conservative movement to bring a lot of blacks and bring them to prominence again that's where clarence thomas got to start and so you see like more like a different view of race, I think, go through in the 90s. We even talk about welfare reform. Um, basically, like uh, the main black critique, uh, black conservative critique of welfare reform, and actually many conservatives had this critique, that basically happened. They basically were successful. I mean, that that's already passed. Actually, a lot of people don't understand that. The late 90s, when welfare, or in the mid 90s, when welfare reform came through, that basically took care of like the, the critiques of cash welfare, which was like the main critique of black, old black conservatism, which is why you don't actually hear that many contemporary black conservatives talk about welfare as much. Now, they'll talk about it in the past, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, they, they took the fathers out of the home and they'll say all that kind of stuff about the past. But they don't talk about it now because it's not really like cash welfare doesn't barely even exist in the United States at this point. Um, but what's so interesting, I think, um, is what are the topics that contemporary black conservatives are talking about? And like, what what are those things that are really keeping people like in that or moving people, I think, into the camp? I think what you're seeing with Black Lives Matter situation has been big. Um, I think, you know, if you if, I think if you would poll people, a lot of people, a lot of black people would still say, you know, I support Black Lives Matter in general. Right. I think a lot of people would say that. But I definitely think with a crime situation and the discussion on, on what to do about crime, um, I think when you're looking at you know, some other cultural issues like as it relates to like gender, sexuality. Um, I definitely think that seeing the Democratic Party come in into this, you know, more socially lip, like very socially progressive space as a party is push is also is like now what's leading more people, uh, African-Americans to kind of feel more comfortable voting. Um, where in the past there was things like economic concerns, I think even more so than anything, like welfare and, and all these like free market and all kinds of stuff. Now I don't think I don't think that's the main it's still there, but I think that these main things are these cultural things. 
that are really big. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah. No, the, the one thing I was going to ask kind of coming from that, and I know we wanted to discuss, and I, I, I remember you said that you have more thoughts on it now than you had the last mm-hmm. time we discussed it is, um, the way you kind of view the difference between conservatives and Republicans, and I guess how you can kind of tie that into, um, what we talked about earlier between black conservatives and conservative blacks. Um, yeah. So what do you, what do you kind of see as the difference? I, Cause I think both you and I, if I remember correctly, you can, you can speak for yourself for sure. But I often clarify for people that I feel uh, much more strongly about calling myself a conservative than I do uh, a Republican yeah. I, to me, like the term Republican while I'm registered as a Republican um, has more, still like a more negative connotation. Cause I just look out and see a lot of Republicans that I just, don't love, <laughs> you know, versus like conservatives. I, I identify that more with like uh, Matt Walsh and Thomas Sowell or, you know what I mean? Like some of these people who are like more speaking on issues and, and kind of um, speaking on culture and politics versus um, the Republicans. I think of Major Taylor Greene and um, Donald Trump, you know what I mean? Like just people that to me can be very polarizing and that I just either don't like as individuals <laughs> or, um, disagree with uh, in political and cultural That's things, so but what do you kind of view, view as a difference? Well, I'm laughing right now because you put Thomas Sowell and Matt Walsh in the same category. That's, <laughs> I think the first time it's ever occurred. Um, but, you know, probably, probably. But, well, I was just thinking of people that yeah, I listen yeah, to. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, I think it's really complex because I think the, Repu- I, I think the Republican party is going through a really big transition where I think that people aren't really attached to the party apparatus at all. Um, and so I think that re- being a Republican is becoming like that as a self descriptor is just becoming less and less relevant the, to describe like people's beliefs. I think Republican, the Republican party has always, all parties have all are in the United States are coalitions. So you only have two major parties. So basically they're all coalitions of groups that all have different beliefs that vote in the same way. Um, so I think it becomes useful to, to, to use the term conservative, um, rather than Republican in that way, because it's more accurate to like, it gets more granular. My problem with the term, with these ideological terms has been like, what does it even mean? Like, and I get in Republican to me has an actual mm-hmm. meaning. It means you're a part of this actual institution, this actual party apparatus, which has a real structure, real constitution, like real, it's in the real world. Conservative to me is like a, a vibe. Like it's like a it's like an ethos, like it doesn't really mean anything. And if you ask this person what that means, they'll say something mm-hmm. different than this other person. Like all of those yeah, people you just named will call themselves conservative. And they're all different. I mean, like it like Marjorie Taylor Greene and yeah. Thomas Sowell are not the same. Like, um, and yet they would still be <laughs> in the same camp. They'd be lumped in the same conservative camp and the same probably partisan camp, actually, to be honest. But so that's why it's very difficult. And I think ideological labels are like very problematic in that way. But at the same time, I think it's it can i think that there's still now i'm starting to find more meaning in that term in the way of like especially looking at this idea of like you can measure how there's conservatism in the black community right and that's different than republicanism you can see in the data there's a difference like you can see that there's a difference between what it means to be a conservative what it means to be republican now with that being said um i think that the republican party is going through an ideological shift and it doesn't know what that's going to be nobody knows what that's going to be and Donald Trump, although he called himself a conservative or people label him as, he's not a conservative. He never was a conservative. Um, he's not, I mean, it, it depends, I guess, what you mean by conservative. He believes in the free market, but um, 
Yeah. I mean, besides that, I don't know if I would call him a conservative. Um, and yet he's the standard bearer of the Republican Party, which is the conservative party. He even actually did a speech. And one time he said, this is the Republican Party, not the conservative party. He literally actually said that. So like he does it oh, like wow. he is not because like like if you talk about gender ideology, stuff like that, like he was supportive of that. Like he's fine with that. Like that's when he came in 2016. Like he was like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm totally good with like everything related to all this stuff that social conservatives like Matt Walsh focus on heavily. Um, and so it's just really interesting. Like, and that's why the labels, although I think I, I've switched to the point where I think that the term conservative has more like salience and utility than Republican. Um, I will say that they both still don't accurately speak to like what people are doing on the ground. Like you have so many camps that all have different yeah. like vibes <laughs> and they're all voting in different ways and they have different ways that they kind of value their intellectual project. But I think for measurement purposes, like especially understanding the black community, understanding in, in other communities as well, I think understanding like what people believe and like self-identify as, I think you're much more getting to accuracy when you ask the term about conservatism than republicanism. Like I think you're just getting more to the accurate like what do people actually believe about themselves and like their actual values? So, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And then I know another thing you talk about a fair amount and you've sent me things and I've read some things, but I still find myself like semi confused on it um, is the term, the new right. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So can you give us like a, yeah, just a short overview of like what that means either to you or what you think it means kind of just generally out there. When people refer to it, or maybe maybe give me a definition. This is this is a better way to ask it. Give me what you think um, the the new right, how the new right would describe themselves, yeah. and then tell me what you think the the left's version of the new right when they refer to the new right, what that means. Yeah. So that kind of gives me, I feel like, the pros and the cons of it. Yeah. I think I could do a good Obviously job. I feel like I do a good job of, of getting what's up. But I think that the, so first of all, I want to clarify because there's been actually many new rights in the history of the conservative movement, even the United States, hmm. they used to call like the Ronald Reagan revolution, the new right. Right. Um, wow. And so that's really important because if you look at the research, it actually says new right to describe like this wave of black conservatives that came in um, at that time in the eighties. But talking about the contemporary new right, um, it also can be called national conservatism. It can be called post-liberal, even though these, all these titles like kind of mean different things in a slight way, like post-liberal is more specifically Catholic uh, intellectuals who are in that project, but like they're in the same, like, ethos so how would the new right slash national conservatism because i think that's kind of like now when it's coalesced around how would they describe themselves i think they would say that they're a nationalist project they would use the term nationalist um and they would say that they are about basically like national solidarity um and everything that comes along with that so really that's as broad as it gets talking about like low to no immigration there's actually no immigration people uh, in the coalition legal immigration um, most of them also they all talk about uh, illegal immigration, but there's also a, a restrictionist view of immigration, period. The also the and this, this is their own self-description, not the criticism. They also believe um, in supporting the family. That's heavy. Like so like they'll be like, we need to support the, the nuclear family. We need to shore up families. We need to be like so that's why you have someone like Josh Hawley, who's definitely in this camp. He actually he has yeah. a bill that just was introduced this session I was reading. Um, called the parents tax credit. It gives you like, it's like $7,000. It's like some huge amount of money. It's like, it's, it's like hungry, right? Yeah. I know well, hungry it's has it's actually, I think I, I don't, I can't remember the hung, hungry's money amount. I don't think it's as generous as hungry, but it's yeah, hungry. Hungry gives you is it's 25% per kid. That oh, yeah, you, yeah, like, for life. Yeah. yeah decrease yeah. in taxes. And then after four kids, yeah, you literally don't pay taxes for the rest of your life. Yeah. But I mean, he's approximating that. I mean, he's taking, he's approximating. I heard him talk about that a little bit on the Jordan Peterson, um, I don't know if you listen to his Jordan Peterson. I did not man. listen to Josh, Josh Hall was on Jordan Peterson. 
Yeah, you should. He had he had him and Newt Gingrich like back to back. I think it was, and both of them are really interesting. You'd enjoy both. Oh right, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, and I'm cool with Josh Hawley. Yeah. Like his people, I don't know him personally, but I've definitely been close with some people who work in his um, organization. Yeah, I heard about him from you. I remember. Yeah, I, I, I'm ago. cool with it. And like they, they have some cool people, and like it's really interesting. But I'm gonna Gaza. So basically, like you know, the parents like they they are about supporting the family for sure. Um, and then you know. I think too a big thing is just this idea of tradition and the history and the conservative movement basically they believe has totally seeded the culture on social issues that they're not willing to use the power of government to push a conservative social agenda. I, I think that is really like the core tenets. You have different poli- like one of the big critiques of national conservatism and new right is that it's somewhat like policy light, like it's there's, it's more of a vibe and there's like kind of different policies within that i'll say too to add to that to that to that discourse especially in the post-liberal discourse it's this idea that like you know modernity and liberalism is dying that its utility is dying Mm. that it's all about the atomistic individual that basically is just totally divorced from from community and family and all social ties and basically is just this like radically self-autonomous choice-based individual who has like is not bound by anything besides their free will basically and they heavily critique that. And that's really all, all at the core of the project, which is why so many Catholics are involved in it, because that's I mean, it's really representative of Catholic social doctrine, like um, like the human person mm-hmm. interdependent. And that's actually what they often draw on this, both that those sources of social doctrine, but also historical sources. Um, and some people in the new right slash, slash post liberal are like also kind of get into the space of like debating like the utility of different forms of government. So you have some critique, you know, liberalism, the main point of liberalism is the rule of law. Basically the idea that like no person mm-hmm. or a group of people rules, but just laws rule. And I think um, they would debate this. This is debatable, but there's some people who kind of debate like, like what the, how power works within, like that the government maybe should have more power to direct culture than it does. Um, especially when they believe that the culture goes in a direction that they don't believe it should go. And that for the sake of the common good, Right. Adrian Vermeule talks about what he calls common good constitutionalism. He wrote a whole book on this. He's a Catholic um, uh, lawyer and writer. And basically he was saying like that uh, common good constitutionalism, that like the the Constitution shouldn't be read as like a liberal document, but about the common good. Right. Which can also mean like more government power in moving forward goals for the common good, even if that wasn't in the traditional reading of the Constitution with the individual rights basis. So that's like that's like the new right post liberal space. It's, It's a very diverse, but. You know, you can uh, if somebody would like to learn more about what they actually believe from their own voice, definitely Hungary is featured prominently. <laughs> but you should watch the new NatCon, um, NatCon uh, yeah. uh, stuff on YouTube. You can also like listen to the NatCon podcast. Yaram Hazoni, who's an Israeli writer and like kind of like the intellectual guy, one of the intellectual people behind this kind of sponsors that uh, you can listen to that podcast. And, you know, some of these people are mainstream. Like I think about the Federalist has a lot of NatCon people. Um, National Review has some NatCon people there. Nate Hawkman, who I think is phenomenal, I definitely push his stuff, and he's a journalist who I've talked to in the past. Nat, uh, he yeah. writes a lot. He wrote the New York Times, kind of touch on some. So like uh, Ross, do that, uh, touch on these themes. And so like, what would the critique be? Right, I know I can be long winded. What would the critique be? <laughs> I think the critique. So the the people who look at the new right, like they see it as authoritarian, basically. Like that's the main thing. They're fascists, authoritarians. They want to, you know, basically uh, create a Catholic ethno state, a Catholic like integralist state. Some people are integralist, so that's actually not some for some people in that group. Um, that's actually not wrong, but <laughs> but for the most part, it's not correct. Um, 
And but basically, like the whole idea is, you know, that these people want to. Yeah, they're basically authoritarians. I mean, and fascist. And now. The reality of that is that that's used to describe a lot of people, uh, whether <laughs> whether it be the new right side of that or other people. Um, but I will give them the legitimacy that there are some people within the ecosystem, just like with any movement, there's people who are kind of like way off. There are some like way off people that actually mm-hmm. do have a following. Um, and they, there was a New York Times article about this and, you know, they connect Peter Thiel to this and other people, but like who are somewhat authoritarian. Like they, and, and sometimes you don't know if they're joking. <laughs> you don't know if they're actually joking because I'll put it in like a joke way. Like they'll be like, oh yeah, like right. a, we should have a dictatorship. <laughs> And you're like, yeah, you don't really know. Like, are like, are they like? It's kind of like that whole like whatever they're trying to do with that. Um, so they don't do themselves any favors uh, doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, obviously, like, the question is like, what's the what does this have in terms of bearing on actual or national politics? Um, I think that the conversation around the new right, a lot of it, you know, in, in terms of elected officials, the people who you would look at for this now, JD Vance is going to be like the vanguard of this, um, but. Uh, Josh Hawley, Marco Rubio. Um, uh, I think those are the main senators. You have some various representatives who kind of like toy around with it, but those, of the of the elected figures, those are like the leaders of that. Um, and I mean, really, all of- Josh Hawley's not Catholic. He's right? not Catholic. He's Protestant. Um, he has a lot. Of- Marco Rubio and JD Vance are. Yeah, and he has some Catholics like in his in his like vibes uh, in his base. Yeah, I would um, yeah. and uh, but you know, really, like you know, it's. When it comes down to policy, like the the main thing that they push is like basically giving more money to families. I mean, if you look at look at all the stuff that they've done, like and like what's like new right about it, I mean that's what it boils down to, which is extremely in Catholic social doctrine. Actually, if you go to um, St. John Paul II's right. work on the Borium Exorcisms, the dignity of work, he talks about like we could even pay women to stay at home, like and just be at home. Like we should just give them money, like single mom, we should give them money to stay at home. Like that's a St. John Paul II. Um, type stuff like but of course supporting the family and the idea of the family wage has always been in Catholic social doctrine that we should help working families to be able to work and um, and be able to support a family on single income right and that's also the same language you'll hear them say yeah um, in the new right that's really cool I love it all right so let's let's wrap up with uh, two uh, two hot topics I just want to get your thoughts on real quick so we talked about um, a very famous uh black man in America who according to your words had his fifth major <laughs> public oh my goodness man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you oh. just general thoughts on Yeezy man what I'm do you so think? sad by Kanye West situation because um any African I mean I say this just authentically like in terms of his music production like he had such a big influence on me um, I did mess around in music production and he was so creative and so like just, I mean, his, every album he was putting out was different. Like he was just innovating like crazy in music. Um, his production, I feel like it's something that so many people don't even know about. Yeah. But like his you albums, know? like, I mean, he, as a, like the bangers he produced for other rappers. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, like, I feel like it's so albums, slept like, on. So many people, like he was, he was putting out Jay. stuff like, like, but at the end of the day, yeah, Jay-Z, like obviously like, that like is how he like got like, hits, bro. yeah. Like yeah. and the, and the thing is like he at first wasn't even gonna be a rapper because he was a producer. But anyways, um, right. yeah. But to be so great at both is is wild. Yeah, wildly. And I mean, I think this is the thing with with Kanye West. First of all, everything he says about Jewish people, I wholeheartedly think is 
absolutely ridiculous and ludicrous. And I think it's serious to, to say that because he's a hurt man and he is wounded right now. And that's real. And absolutely. it's real that the pain of going through the, the divorce with Kim Kardashian is so pain. I'm so sure like the pain of the loss of his family and like, I'm, I know that's so painful. And so you want to always, you know, see someone in pain and be like, you know, I want that person to be better and feel better and to feel like, you know, flourishing and stuff like that. But like all that stuff about believing in the most tropish anti-Semitic beliefs about Jewish people, I just think are ridiculous. Now I will say too, like that all the things he was saying, like you can find those exact same words in the person of Louis Farrakhan, who says the exact same things all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm not exaggerating. Like, every single thing he said, like, Louis Farrakhan called, I'm not even going to repeat on this podcast, but he's called Jewish people some horrible names, all type of stuff. So, like, everything that Kanye West is saying, he actually got from other people in the black community, um, and he got from other people as well. But right now, politically, he's also being used by Nick Fuentes and Milo Yiannopoulos um, to basically stage a revolt against the conservative establishment. That's basically what's happening. Like and mm-hmm. Nick Fuentes, all these things that he said, like if you even watch that <laughs> Alex Jones debacle, like he says Nick Fuentes. This, <laughs> I caught like 40 minutes. Of I, I, you know, I, watched I, I, I had never I, been on InfoWars before. I was like, how do you even find this freaking clandestine? I'm, I'm you watch about the FBI now. The the dark web, yeah, I know that's what I thought. Yeah, I was like, like, shit, this is good. It's not good for the things that I say. Yeah. They're be like, oh, he's got, it is search history oh, yeah. info wars. It's like, don't take this the wrong way. I was just curious. I felt like I felt like uh um oh, what's his name? The uh the owner of the Cowboys. Uh, name escapes me. Uh, Jerry Jones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, have you heard about that whole? Yeah, I've heard about like, it, yeah. The, the photo, yeah. I felt like 14 year old Jerry Joe's like, oh, looking, you know, Alex Jones. And Kanye. I'm like, don't hold this against me. I'm just, you know, I'm just curious here watching. This feels like history, man. I just got to see what's happening over here. Um, but like, I was like, don't, don't come after right, me. Right, exactly. But like, the, the fact that he would like go as far as to like endorse Hitler as an individual, like Nick Fuentes, though, like he said, bro, Alex Jones was Alex like, Jones was dog, shook. You he chill. was shook visibly. <laughs> He was visibly he like, he was like, oh my good. Now I know how everyone else feels as a human being around me. Like he literally got a taste yeah. of like how he his own experience. Yeah, like, yep. it, was, it was karma was triggered like real hard. No, but like um, I think what's you know, he said Nick Fuentes is gonna be the president of the United States. Nick Fuentes is a true bold take white supremacist. And like and and the reason and the reason why that's important is because like he's in a clear and I, I'm not I'm not diagnosing him. He died. He said he's bipolar. It appears as somebody who works with people who have mental health issues, it appears that he ha- is in a manic episode. Really? It does appear that way um, with grandiose ideation and many other things, which lasts long periods of time for some people. Um, the reality is that people, these people are globbing onto him and they're putting him in these spaces. Um, now he's also self-directing this. Like he would, he would do whatever he's been doing, whatever he does, whatever, but like the space that he's in politically, like, Unfortunately, like, yeah, you, you can't, there's no justification for what he's, what the path he's on. And I just hope that he just, I hope he just, I don't want to say it because everyone's been saying gets the help he needs, but I just really hope he just comes to a place of wellness. And I just hope that when he does, like he is able to be welcomed back in society. Like, because people who are like Charlemagne the God basically was saying like, this is a person who seems like he's moving, like he's going to, you know, he could commit suicide or something like that. 
And you'll be just so devastated by after he comes out of that and enter into the depression stage of bipolar disorder where he really like it's over for him. And that would that be so sad. And I don't wish that for him, no matter what he says, that he would do that or go into that space. Um, And so I just really hope that he makes it through this point and, you know, can come back. Yeah. But yeah, no, I definitely agree with all that. Uh, It's super sad to watch. And I think really unfortunate that Milo and Nick are just like, yeah, trying to ride him into the dirt, you know? Yeah. But um, all right. So last one here, I'll give you a little scenario. It's 2023, 2024. We're coming up on, you know, the next election. You get the option. Let's say Biden's running again. You could vote in primary Trump, DeSantis, or write in a candidate. What would you do? Well, I mean, are we just saying like Bob, like what we actually think would happen or just like what we would hope to happen? No, you like, let's say you get, you get 10 million votes. That's for sure. Because I think no matter who I've said this before, no matter who it is against Trump in the primary vote for that person, I don't care who it is, no matter <laughs> who it is it's going to be better. Donald Trump is not a, there's, really no, there's nothing of that. <laughs> no matter who it is, I don't care who it is, honestly, person. but I will say this, um, I would, uh, somebody who I respect, I actually got to meet him once um, in person. Uh, I respect Marco Rubio a lot. Marco Rubio got demolished in the um, in the uh, last. I mean, he got <laughs> he got verbally demolished by Donald Trump the last time <laughs> the situation happened. Called yeah. him little Marco and all these ridiculous situations. But Marco Rubio, I think, is a solid person. I think Marco Rubio is steeped in Catholic social doctrine. I think he actually not only speaks about it, but really does attempt to create policy solutions that are unique. Um, I think, I just think, I think, I, I, would, I hope that Marco Rubio doesn't get to the point where he's past the capacity to, to be in, to, to run and to really have like the valid chance of getting to that point. Obviously, the heat is around the other Floridian, uh, Ron DeSantis, right now. And um, yeah. I actually put in the article, this was actually false news. Uh, I put in the article that DeSantis had the best black turnout. Actually, the best black turnout was Mike DeWine in Ohio, Governor Ray. He had 30% really? um, black vote, uh, which is very impressive. Wow. I think 41% black men, um, if I'm looking correct, I mean, like he blew out. And the reason he won is because, and I, this is like the end of the article, is because he's moderate. Like he, and uh, people hate, like people like use moderate as a slur. But if you look at the black population in terms of the, the data, they are overwhelmingly moderate. They identify as moderate. Even the young people who people look at as, as arch progressives identify as moderate more than any other demographic group of any mm-hmm. b- variety. And so, like, to me, Marco Rubio represents, like, a path for that. Like, he's not – it doesn't mean that he doesn't have strong values. It just means that he cuts a competent frame. Um, and I think DeSantis could do the same, actually, um, to be honest with you. I think DeSantis could also do that. But I think – I just feel like Marco Rubio just got the short end of the stick. Like he came in at the wrong time and like, yeah, <laughs> he, got, yeah. he came in a super crowded primary. I think you're also going to have Mike Pence run, Nikki Haley run. Um, you're probably going to have uh, Mike Pompeo run. It's going to be crowded. And, and I would say like of all those people, I think that, I think that DeSantis should not run uh, bold take, even though I think he's, I've kind of thought that too. I've dabbled with I that. I think he should stay out of it. Right? <laughs> Wait for the next one. Uh, exactly. Because he's going to get, he it's not going to be pretty regardless of what happens. It's not going to be a, a beautiful sight for, 
Because Trump is going to focus in oh, on yeah. him. Because he knows that he'll be the biggest he's going threat. To, but at the end of the day, though, if he doesn't get in, then people are going to say, like, oh, like you saw Donald Trump was coming and you just, you saw the Trump train was coming and you had to get out of the yeah. way. Like, that's what the people are going to say, right? There's like, he like can't win. Um, it's tough. It's a tough situation. And like, no, none of those politicians want to lose their moment, right? They don't want to lose like that one time they could have been president, like that one time, like they could have. Um, right. And so, but yeah, if I could pick anyone off, off rip, it would definitely be Marco Rio um, in terms of running against Trump. And then I think, I think DeSantis would be fine. I don't think he would do a bad job. I think, and like I said in the article, he got a lot of support from African-Americans. He's grounded in his own like cultural community. Um, and I think it would just help to break and shake up the narrative of basically the Republican Party is racist. Now, at the end of the day, like Tim Scott, also that people are flooding Tim Scott. He should not run for president. Um, I think he's a great guy um, and has really great values and actually represents like we talk about when we talk about the black moderate conservative and black and conservative black like vision. Mm -hmm. But I don't they would just they would destroy Tim Scott. And I don't want that for Tim Scott. I want Tim Scott to stay, <laughs> to stay happy, to stay in the Tim Scott. I, I just want him to stay chill over there, you know, in his state, you know. Um, but yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. What about you? <laughs> I not I don't want that for Tim <laughs> Scott. Um I think yeah, I mean I'm definitely pro anybody but Trump. I think I he is I mean, when I say just fully lost me, I mean fully lost me. Um, I think that the enthusiasm around him is waning, and I think that any that still exists is just mind-boggling to me. Like I just don't understand it. Um, I don't understand any confidence or belief that people who are moderate to left will vote for him. I don't. I think like this this idea that people believe that the American people are more logical than emotional to the point that they would vote for Trump more now over Biden post January 6th, post all the things he's doing, you know, Ronda Sanctimonious and like criticizing everybody on his own team post the midterms. Like, I think it's just the, I think it's one of the most foolish takes in American politics that people think, no man, people miss Trump, the inflation on stuff. People don't give a shit. And they prove that to you in 2022 um, when we just got blown out with all these people, people voted for Democrats and then left and 80% of them said they think that the country's headed in the wrong direction and they voted for the same people in power. And you think that the person that those 80% of people hate the most or 50% or of those 80% hate the most in politics is going to come back and win the presidency. Yeah. And it, what's sad too is the fact that like, it's mind blowing to me. I mean, and what's crazy is like, it, and that's why like the narrative around Donald Trump, like, influenced the midterms to the point where it, it spelled the loss for the GOP is is somewhat borne out in the data because you have states where people literally split the ticket. Like they voted like like Mike DeWine, for example, he won by 30 right. points. <laughs> like he blew out. I mean, it was just like blow out, like 32% black vote, like this crazy blowout. You go to J.D. Vance, who is still he was not tight. crazy. Like, I don't know why people keep painting J.D. Vance as like the most extreme. He's not like that extreme. But anyways, but basically... Uh, he barely like he he did win, but like it should have been like thirty point, right? Like, it, but and so there's all these ticket splitting, and it's because people like associated them with Donald Trump. I think that's that's true. Donald Trump, all he talks, his literally only policy agenda is he literally said he would give the death penalty to people who sell drugs, which is he literally took that policy from communist China, which is just that's crazy. And then second, and second, like literally killed him on the spot, like the dude from the Philippines, um, and then. Uh, basically re redo. He said this in his speech. Like, I just want to give him the death penalty. Like, it's just crazy. 
Oh yeah, no, I and remember. It, yeah, also, in his announcement, like the 2020 election was stolen. That's all he had. Like that's the only things that are unique about his policy agenda. Um, even people on the left, who I definitely listen to a lot of people on the left um, in terms of their political analysis. Um, I, my favorite podcast is probably Breaking Points because of their kind of more populist analysis. Although I'm not, I don't identify as that. But like even Crystal Ball, who is definitely uh, Bernie Sanders like left the supporter of super left. Um, she was saying like 2016, Donald Trump had some like populist appeal. Like he actually was shaking up orthodoxies. Like he was saying interesting things. Like he was kind of like, you know, there was some question there. Obviously he was erratic still, but even people on the left were like, oh, it was kind of interesting on like these economic things and like, you know, tariffs. Um, all of that, like any like uniqueness that he had has been totally drained out. And not only that, but like this mm-hmm. radical 2020 elections situation is like unprecedentedly whack and there's like there's nothing there's nothing there there's no there's no policy there it's just not so it is sad to see like people still on this trump wave believing that he's again it's like secular messianism if you go in the catechism you look at this idea that these that a person a political person is going to save you or be a savior is it's like it's that same spirit that i find in the trump phenomenon right now yeah which is so interesting because it, it i think it's uh typically something that's attributed to the left we're thinking that the government or a political figure is going to come in and like save your life, you know, and, and you see it now on in factions on the right, which is crazy. But yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty big DeSantis guy. My only thing with DeSantis is, again, I think that I, I kind of agree with you. Um, and I'm kind of at this point of like, let's like, let's not run him in 2024. I think we wait till 28. Let him just use the excuse if he wants to say, I'm just going to finish out my governorship in Florida. You know what I mean? And then kind of discern and see, think what's best. Um, I would definitely support Marco Rubio. Uh, he would be, uh, I think, a, a favorite second for me to to run. Um, I hope. I, I mean, I'd love to see Josh Hawley run eventually. I don't think that his time is is has come for sure. But uh, I think, like you know, maybe thirty two or thirty six, uh, we could see maybe him run. That would be pretty cool to see. But <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'd get behind Pence over Trump. Really, anybody. <laughs> I, I I'd be interested to see the primaries. I think. I, I think I'll be interested to see who does run. And then kind of pick a favorite out of the people that we see kind of in those first debates. But um, yeah, I hope I hope to a certain extent that Trump continues to. It's funny, like talking about him and Kanye to wrap up, because I feel like they both just self-implode, you know, in in ways that are obviously in different ways and they have different kind of roles in society, I guess, or play different parts. Um, But they both just like can't help themselves at this point. I feel like, but say things that are like self-destructive in their attempt to like be more popular and to pursue more power. Um, which I think is just fascinating from a sociological and psychological perspective. Yeah. I mean, people thought that, that Trump was too tame in his last speech where he said he was going to literally like that. That was the critique. Right? Kill, yeah. Kill. Yeah, kill like, that was the critique, that he's too tame. And so it's like, you know, it's interesting because yeah, I, I mean, I classify it as self implosion, but other people actually support it. Like, you know, they talk about the tweets and stuff like that. Like, that was some people were really excited about that. Um, and so it's like, yeah, with and it's so also interesting that Kanye West took so much inspiration from Donald Trump that like he really like felt yeah. like he was like in the Trump movement. And so, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, it's it's unique to see that situation. Hence, why you wanted him to be his uh, vice. Yeah. Can you imagine? Could you, bro, you know. When they described that, that was like my favorite part of the Alex Jones thing. When him and Nick Fuentes actually described, <clears throat> Nick was like, "Yeah, Kanye went in there. And he had a proposal for President Trump." And I was like, "Can you?" I would just, 
man, the look on Trump's face when Kanye was like, would you like to be my running mate? I just, I mean, I, I would, the money I would pay to have been there just to like get a glimpse or to have a photograph of his face, like in that moment would have been, I mean, that's priceless, but yeah, man. Well, awesome, dude. I mean, I hope, you know, if, if God willing, someday I get to do this more full time and I get to get to the, you know, three hour length podcast <laughs> in person, I think you want to, I want you to be one of my first three uh, guests. Cause I think we could go <laughs> easily for four hours, you know, uh, talk about all kinds of different things, but I appreciate you joining me today, man. It was great to get to talk with you and I really look forward to it again sometime. Yeah, definitely, man. Appreciate it so much. Awesome. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in today. I hope this was, uh, interesting to you. I hope this was helpful. Um, and I just always love hearing Lewis's thoughts on all these different kinds of topics. So I hope you enjoyed it as well and continue to fight hard to be your best. God bless you.